you will, again to the book of James. Thank you for that good song. I like it. I like a happy song. I like it when the cup runs over and the saucer gets a little. Some of you old timers know how to drink coffee, but anyway. <laughs> you don't drink it on ice, I'll tell you that. Some of you folks drink ice cream and call it coffee. But anyway, I'm not preaching against that sin tonight. There are other sins I'm going to deal with other, other than that. <laughs> Look at chapter 4 and verse number 14. I'm asking the Holy Spirit to arrest our attention to answer the question tonight, for what is your life. Heavenly Father, I pray that you bless the preaching of your word tonight. What a joy it is to gather with God's family in the house of God to sing praises. We ought to be a happy people. We have eternal life. We ought to be a joyful people. We have the Holy Spirit within us that seals us unto the day of redemption. We have a book that's forever settled in heaven and is for eternity. We have a God, a Savior that will never cease but will reign over all of the world for all eternity until there's a new heaven and new earth. I pray that you bless the preaching tonight. I pray that our attention would be given here in this auditorium and the many, many hundreds and thousands of places where folks will Watch this message online in some format. I pray that you would bless it. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. The book of James is a very powerful, pointed book of instruction. It places the jelly on the bottom shelf of the Christian life. And the theme of the book is spiritual maturity. James, it says in many ways, grow up, mature, be an adult, be strong, be tough. Not only does he tell us to be mature, he tells us how to do it. The theme verse is chapter 1, verse number 4. But let patience have her perfect work. That ye may be perfect or complete or mature is the word. And entire, wanting or lacking nothing. I could outline the book and I have outlined the book of James probably in oh six or eight, maybe ten different ways. But when we learn about maturity, we learn something in each chapter about maturing as a Christian. In chapter 1, we learn that the mature Christian is patient in testing. Patient in testing. Trials from the outside in the first 12 verses. Temptations from within, verses 13 to 27. The maturing Christian is patient in testing. The Bible says, let patience have her complete, her perfect work, that ye may be perfect and entire, wanting nothing. The mature Christian practices the truth in James chapter 2. The truth of faith and love in the first 13 verses. 
the truth of faith and works in verses 14 to 26. You can say you have love, but if you have a love that only feels, but it never meets a need, it is an immature, selfish love. But if it is a love that says, I don't just feel sorry for you, but I make a difference or I meet a need, someone unsaved, I give them the gospel. Someone hungry, I give them food. Someone hurting, I give them the comfort of Christ that he's given me in my time of trials. And we learn not only the faith in love, but we learn of faith in works or love in action. So the maturing Christian is patient in testing. He practices the truth. Chapter 3, we learn that the maturing Christian gains power over the tongue. It's a strong verse. It's a chapter, a strong chapter. He gives an exhortation. He states plainly that we ought to control our words. Words hurt or words help. Our words about and to others ought to be helpful and encouraging. He deals with the mature Christian. An immature Christian, as Brother Harding said in Sunday school this morning, an immature Christian talks about people. A mature Christian talks about God. He gives the exhortation and then he gives illustrations about what he has said. And then he makes application in the last few verses. That's what chapter 3 is about. And he tells us to be mature by practicing power over the tongue. In chapter 4, the Christian is mature by being a peacemaker, not a troublemaker. A peacemaker. When he saved us, he secured us. We ought to live in peace. And our life, our person, our words ought to bring comfort and peace to others. We ought not be troublemakers, but peacemakers. And in chapter 4, we learn about three wars, three enemies, and three admonitions. The three wars that we face, there's a war between one another. There's a war with self, and there's a war with God. And it talks about in chapter 4, ye adulterers and adulteresses know ye not that the friendship of the world is enmity with Christ. So he talks about the war with the world. He talks about the war with self. He talks about the war that folks have with the will of God. The three enemies that James talks about in chapter 4, being a peacemaker and not a troublemaker, and the three enemies that we face are the world, the flesh, and the devil. The three admonitions that are given in chapter 4 are submit to God, draw nigh to God, and humble yourself before God. All three of those given in the last part of chapter 4. That's worth our coming tonight to be reminded that we ought to submit to God. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 tells us to lean not to our own understanding, but in all our ways acknowledge Him and He'll direct our paths. Submit to God. Draw near to God. He says in verse number 8, draw near to God and He'll draw near to us. It's not really hard to get close to God because as you desire to be close to Him, he quickly is close to us. Draw nigh to God. And then he says, humble yourself before God. How sad it is when God has to break us and force humility. 
It's better for us to yield, to bend, rather than to be broken. So the mature Christian is a peacemaker, not a troublemaker. In chapter 5, the mature Christian is a prayerful Christian, especially in times of trouble. Chapter 5, a praying Christian is a mature Christian. A mature Christian is a praying Christian, not a worrying Christian, not a complaining Christian, but a praying Christian. When you realize what happens in our prayers, we take our troubles to God. That ought to be enough to take away our fear, our worry. It ought to be enough to take away what we would say to others. If I can't get comfort in my prayers to God, I dead sure can't get comfort in pity that others would give to me. If I'm looking for pity rather than an answer, I'm an immature Christian. In chapter 5, he talks about the mature Christian being a prayerful Christian. Verses 1 through 9, economic troubles are covered. We pray about. Verses 10 through 16, physical troubles. I'm glad that we can cast our care on him for he careth for us. Verses 17 and 18, we can pray about our national troubles. You'll see it right there in those verses. And then when there's problems within a church, verses 19 and 20. In the midst of this explanation of a maturing Christian, James then poses the question and says, what is your life? What is your life? And he basically says, and I like it, if you're going to be a mature Christian, you need to get with it. Because life's a vapor. It appears for a little time. And then it vanishes away. I want us to ponder the question this evening, what is your life? First of all, I want you to notice it's a personal question. It is your life. There's no need to argue whether you get to make the decisions or not. You not only get to make the decision, the responsibility is yours of what you will do with your life. Folks say, my body is mine. I'll do what I want to do. And you're right. But you must understand that every decision has a consequence. And while you and I have the right to make the decision, we do not choose the consequence of that decision. Those consequences have already been chosen and God has determined the consequence of every behavior. Good consequences produce bless or good behavior produces blessing and bad behavior produces cursing. You'll find it throughout the Bible. So the question is asked, what is your life? You have to answer that. Nine-year-old boy and girl, 15-year-old teenager. While your parents make and control your actions, they're not controlling your thinking. What is your life? Every single person is important. Every single life is important. 
You're not just a number among many. You are a person that God has given life. And James asked the question as he teaches us to be mature and to be maturing in our Christian life. He asked the question, how's your life? What is your life? Are you maturing? What is your life? And he answers the question with an illustration that we can all see in our mind as we see either fog lifting from an early morning or we see a steam rising from a boiling pot and we see the steam that seems to slowly move but in a short amount of time it vanishes and is gone. We don't have a lot of time if we're going to serve God and serving as mature Christians we need to get with it. What is your life? I ask the question, second of all, consider, have you considered that your life is a gift? God gave us our life. Wherever you were born, wherever you grew up, God gave you your life. Don't be angry at God. Don't blame God for the choices of man. Don't blame God for the sin that was brought into the world by Satan. God's a giver of life. Everything God does is life. Even in difficulty, God improves our life. Even in death as a child of God, death is not an end. It's a departure of address of our place of living. When I got saved, I got eternal life. God's about life and God is about living and life is a gift from God. God said to Jeremiah, when, you're, when you were in your mother's womb, I chose you to be a prophet to the nations. It was not an easy ministry. In fact, it was a difficult ministry. James asked the question, what is your life? Have you considered that your life is a gift? One of the things and works of the devil is to discourage you and say life is not worth living Life is worth living in the will of God. One of the indicators of being away from God is the thinking that life is not worth living and the devil will lead you on a trail to make you think, my life has no value. My life is not worth living. Oh, but dear friend, in the will of God, no matter what you would consider your quality of life, it's worth living because in the will of God, there's always a purpose for our life. Life is a gift from God. I think of Hannah as she prayed for a son and she could not have a son for so many years. She went to the altar and she wept and she prayed and she cried and she begged God to give her a son. And she told God, if you'll give me a son, I'll give him back to you as a servant. And sure enough, God gave her a son. And as a small child, she took little Samuel down to Eli, down to the priest in the temple to be a servant for Eli and a servant of God. She said in 1 Samuel 1.27, For this child I prayed, and the Lord hath given me my petition which I ask of him. God made a covenant with Abraham. He said, you're going to be the father of a great nation. They were so excited to have that first son that son would be the beginning of a great nation. And days and years and decades went by without that son. But God did give a son. 
the promised son. He came when it was impossible to have a son. And God saying to them, this is not by your doings or the ability of man, but this is the ability of God. I'm saying your life is important. Your life is a gift. God gave you your life to live. Teenager, listen to me tonight. God gave you life as a gift, and life ought to be enjoyed in the will of God. Lo, children are in heritage of the Lord, and the fruit of the womb is his reward. Psalm 127 and verse number 3. What is your life? That's the first question. It's personal. Have you considered that it's your decision? Second of all, have you considered that your life is a gift? Third of all, have you considered how brief life is? That's the actual emphasis in chapter 4 here. Life is a vapor or a steam that appears for a little time and then vanishes away. Though it appears to be moving slowly, it is moving and it is soon dissipated and it is gone. Looking back over life causes a person to realize the strength and reality of this statement that life is brief. Sometimes in the moment... It seems that life is slow. It seems that life will last a long time, but looking back, no matter your age, life is brief. My grandparents are only memories now. My father is a memory some 37 years. He's been in heaven. It seems like just yesterday, my adult children today were just little boys and little girls, life is brief. Think about it. I thought this week of the many in our church that are now in heaven. Over these 30 years together, many, many times we've said goodbye. And with every time we've thought, one day it will be me and my departure. I've thought of the preachers I've known that I've heard preach. It seemed that I would hear them all of my life, but they're gone now. Some that I knew well have been gone 20 and 30 years. Dr. Harding and his wife had lunch with us today, and we were talking about our good friend, Dr. Jim Vineyard. Dr. Vineyard, what a preacher, what, what a man he was. He was a Special Force soldier in Vietnam. He trained Hmong soldiers in Vietnam. Lied about his age to get in. Wounded, shot several times. What a man he was and what a soldier of the cross he became. I remember as a boy hearing him preach. I wanted to tell one of all, uh, I, I remember wanting him to tell one of those stories that made everybody sick. I was just a boy. I thought they were fun. I remember hearing him preach one time. He preached a message entitled, The Camels Are Coming. He preached two hours and 15 minutes in one night. I didn't think the camels would ever get there. In fact, I wondered if the tribulation would begin before those camels ever got there. He preached that night with a full military uniform on and a field pack 
and a rifle on his back. I was afraid to go to sleep. Those men are gone. Life is brief. It seemed when I was a boy that the lazy days of summer would last forever. But now it seems but a few days and summer has gone to fall. And fall to winter, winter to spring, and spring to summer. And now I think not in seasons or in months, but sometimes even in decades, life is brief. The psalmist said in Psalm 90 and verse number 10, the days of our years are three score years and ten. A score is 20, so three score is 60, and 10 is 70. He goes on to say, and if by reason of strength they be four score years, yet is their strength labor and sorrow, for it is soon cut off, and we fly away. Psalm 144, man is like to vanity his days, or as a shadow that passeth away. Isaiah said in chapter 40, The grass withereth, the flower fadeth, because the Spirit of the Lord bloweth upon it. Surely the people is grass, and the grass withereth, the flower fadeth, but the word of our Lord shall stand forever. You say, preacher, you're trying to discourage us about life? I'm, uh, no, I'm not at all. I'm trying to get busy and live it. It's brief. As it is appointed and a man wants to die, but after this, the judgment. Life is brief. I say, number four, have you considered how fragile life is? How fragile life is. It was in the month of June last year I received a text message from a preacher friend of mine that I preached for many times. He was just a bit older than me, still in his 50s. And he said, I have tested positive for COVID. I don't feel too bad, but pray for me. Ten days later, received a text message that he had died. From healthy, without problems, to departed. Life is fragile. The psalmist said this, make me to know mine end and the measure of my days what it is that I may know how frail I am. Life is frail. It's frail to temptations. It's frail to sickness. It's frail to injury. Life is frail to death. I, I'm not saying tonight be discouraged, be depressed about life because of all these things. I'm saying let's be sober. Let's mature and understand. And we're not going to play ball forever. We've got to grow up and life has to go on and we need to be mature. And I need to do all I can for the cause of Christ while I can. Have you considered that life is frail? Have you considered that your life has a purpose? One of the most sobering thoughts. As a teenager, I realized God in heaven not only knows me, God has a plan, a blueprint. God has a will for my life. 
What an amazing thing. And I learned those verses in Romans chapter 12 where the Bible says, And be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind, that ye may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. And I learned that God had a will for my life. And I learned from Matthew chapter 6 that I'm to seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. And God takes care of everything else as I do the will of God. Life has a purpose and God... God has a will for my life for every boy, for every girl, every teenager, every college student tonight, every adult. God has a will for your life and joy in the Christian life comes from doing what God designed us and prepared us to do. And then I say, last of all, have you considered that you have to give an account for your life to God. Since God gave it to me, I have to report back at the end and give an account for how I lived it. Think about it now. Since God is the one that gave me life, at the end of life, whenever that may be, I must stand before him, whether that would be in my departure of death or that would be the return of Christ, I will stand before him and I'll give an account as to how I've lived my life. Look at two verses, if you will. First John chapter 2, please. First John chapter 2, just before Jude and Revelation. First John chapter 2. I want you to notice what the Bible says in First John chapter 2 and go down to the end of that chapter. It's verse number 28. Verse number 28. And now, little children, and now, little children, First John chapter 2, verse number 28. And now, little children, Abide in him. That doesn't say visit him uh, once on Sunday. It uh, doesn't say uh, frequent uh, uh, his uh, presence now and again. It says live with him. Abide in him. Walk with God every day. Why? That when he shall appear, we may have confidence and not be ashamed before him at his coming. When you get those test results back and you know that you did very well and you're hoping you made a perfect score and you're waiting to see, is it a 96, is it a 98, or is it a 100, but you have confidence that you did well, or do you wait for him in fear, just hoping you pass the test and maybe can do better on the next quiz? He said, abide in him that we can have confidence. I ask you tonight, if we were to meet the Lord tonight, would we have confidence with our life that we've been living in his will and doing what God would have us to do in life? Take your Bibles and go to the book of 2 Corinthians, if you will, in chapter 5, 2 Corinthians chapter 5. And I want you to notice in the middle of this chapter here, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, talking about the fact that God is the giver of life and God has given life as a gift to, to us. So at the end of it, I have to go back and give an account to God for how I've lived my life. Notice 2 Corinthians chapter 5, 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Look at verse number 10. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that everyone may receive the things done in his body according to that he hath done, whether it be good or bad. 
Now, we're not talking about a judgment for salvation. The judgment of salvation takes place when you receive Christ as Savior. We're not trying to find out here in this verse if we're going to heaven or not. Uh, only saved people are at this judgment. Are you with me tonight? Only saved people are here. But we do understand that we're going to receive reward according to our service for God. And I want to receive crowns. I want to receive the crowns that are available not for self but, but for uh, the privilege to cast those, those crowns at the Savior's feet to say we rejoice in you and all you have done and all that you mean to us. He says in verse number 10 according uh, to uh, that he hath done whether it be good or bad Knowing therefore the terror of the Lord, we persuade men. We are made manifest unto God, and I trust also are made manifest in your conscience. Have you considered what is your life? Everyone will give an account before God for their life. James tells us in this chapter three things we ought to submit to God. We ought to draw nigh to God, and we ought to humble ourselves. Before God. C.T. Studd was a young athlete born in England in 1860, somewhat of a well to do family. But he considered one day, what is my life? I can't play sports forever. I want to do something that matters in life. I want to do something that matters for good and matters for right. He gave himself, he gave himself to get the gospel to as many people as he could. He served as a missionary in India, Africa, China. He died in 1931 at the age of 71. He wrote this poem. Most likely you've heard it. Two lines I heard one day traveling along life's busy way, bringing conviction to my heart and from my mind it would not depart. Only one life will soon be passed and only what's done for Christ will last. Only one life, yes, only one, soon will its fleeting hours be done. Then in that day, my Lord, to meet and stand before the judgment seat. Only one life. T'will soon be passed and only what's done for Christ will last. Only one life, the still small voice, gently pleads for a better choice. Bidding me selfish aims to leave and to God's holy will to cleave. Only one life. Will soon be passed, and only what's done for Christ will last. Only one life, just a few brief years, each with its burdens, its hopes, and its fears, each with its days I must fulfill, living for self or in his will. You see, there's only one life, and it will soon be passed, and only what's done for Christ will last. When this bright world would tempt me sore, when Satan would a victory score, when self would seek to have its way, then, Lord, 
help me with joy to say there's only one life to live and it will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. Give me, Father, a purpose deep or joy and sorrow thy word to keep. Faithful and true, whate'er the strife, pleasing thee in my daily life, only one life and it will soon be passed. And only what's done for Christ it will last. Oh, let my love with fervor burn and from the world now let me turn, living for thee and thee alone, bringing thee pleasure on thy throne. Only one life. And it will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. Only life. Yes, only one. Now let me say, Lord, thy will be done. And when at last I hear the call, I know I'll say it was worth it all. For you see, there's only one life, and it will soon be passed. And only what's done for Christ will last. Heavenly Father, may we look at the question, what is your life?